and as a church family, and it is, is family, it is whānau, and uh, the presence of God is with us by His Spirit, and uh, take me to a place, that phrase, I, I, I praise God so much that He has, through the blood of His Son, opened up a place before His throne. We come before the throne of God. Thank you, we thank God we don't have to dress up for it, we don't have to put on a show or a performance, we could never do enough. But through the blood of Jesus, through the wonderful sacrifice of God's Son, the place is open and the invitation is there to come to that place. And it is about intimacy. It is about drawing near by the Spirit as well. And praise God for that. I never want to take it for granted. And as a church, always wanting to press through deeper and deeper in intimacy with our God. He is a, Christianity isn't, a, isn't a, an intellectual religion. It's, a, it's an experiential truth religion in the sense that it is a revelation of God's mercy to us all so it's experiential as well as understanding just to remind us of that this morning uh, if the slides are going to go up I don't know will they go up do you think Kate um, I got the thing here have I oh <laughs> you know when you go past a certain age things like this happen more and more frequently I notice thank you Kate you might like to turn with me to Genesis 13 all right, you might like to flick over to your Bibles to Genesis chapter 13. And uh, we're going to have a, a lot of it read out to you this morning. It's not the whole chapter, but there will be selections. And if I was to have a title for my talk this morning, the talk would be something like this. It would be Genesis chapter 13, Crush the Caravan. Uh, which I know doesn't automatically, there's no relationship immediately that strikes your mind. There's no obvious link there, but hold fire. Hopefully it will become clear what we mean by crush the caravan in Genesis 13. But uh, we're going to read the passage, or Julian's going to read it out for us now. And it's not the whole passage, it's selections down the chapter, because the chapter can't read the whole chapter, but the kind of summary bits of it will be read out here. So you might want to follow it in your Bibles, or hopefully kind of fits, not really on the screen, but uh, we'll put up what's up there and uh, just listen to what Julian's saying. It will be a, uh, a better way of uh, engaging with it probably. Thanks, mate. So Abram went up from Egypt to the Negev with his wife and everything he had, and Lot went with him. From the Negev, he went from place to place until he came to Bethel, where he had first built an altar. There Abram called on the name of the Lord. And quarrelling arose between Abram's herders and Lot's. So Abram said to Lot, Let's not have any quarrelling between you and me, or between your herders and mine, for we are close relatives. If you go to the left, I'll go to the right. If you go to the right, I'll go to the left. So Lot chose for himself the whole plain of the Jordan and set out towards the east. The two men parted company. The Lord said to Abram, after Lot had parted from him, Look around from where you are, to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Go, walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I am giving it to you. Excellent. Thank you, Julian. Just a bit of backstory to the passage there. Uh, way back in Genesis 12, God uh, spoke to Abram and uh, took him from his homeland in Ur on the right-hand side, the red line, Ur, which is way down in Iraq, 
uh, below Babylon. That's where Abraham kind of grew up. And God called Abram out. And uh, it's about 1,500, maybe 2,000 kilometers, really, uh, in and out and around the valleys and the mountains down to Israel, uh, where he ended up. Uh, But the point is, God calls Abraham to follow him, and he does, and uh, goes up to Haran and down to Canaan. And once he arrives, there's a few little adventures there, if you read up about it. And then we come to our passage. And, And to be honest, I've always been drawn to this passage because although it's an ancient story, Right? Although it's thousands of years old, it, it still speaks to us today in that I think it highlights so well the tension that you and I as 21st century believers face every day. Because on the one hand, we have this man, Abram, who has received such astonishing promises from God. And you can see them laid out here in the passage. I mean, one of them is you know, the promise to occupy the land. The land is yours. And the second promise is to have descendants as many as the dust of the earth. So so these are great promises. So on the one hand, here's a guy who's received incredible promises from God. uh, But on the other hand, you have the stark reality of what he sees in front of him every day. All right? So that's the the tension. So so number one, that first reality check, this, this land that he's been promised, God has promised him, it's actually occupied by other people. And, uh, and who are well established. And if you look at the land of Canaan at this time, you've got the, uh, I've got them down here, you've got the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, the Jebusites, the Kenites, the Canaanites, the Girgashites, the, the Amorites. And all of these ites are kingdoms and uh, that have been established for centuries and they are strong and they're fortified and they're entrenched and there's a kind of and they're into all kinds of sin as well. It's pretty horrific stuff. But but the point is they've been there for years and they're far more powerful and established than Abraham. He arrives with his tent and a and a few flocks, nothing to compete with what's there. So so that's the first reality check. He's promised this, but life every day is that. All right, it's different. And, uh, and then, of course, there's a second promise, I'll make your offspring like the dust of the earth. And, and that's quite a promise, but the reality is, as we know, he's, he's over 75 years old. His wife can't bear children, so kids are an impossibility. So, so, so this is the tension, all right? Incredible promises versus everyday realities, and this is why this story is so topical for us, because as believers, we, we carry a similar tension, don't we? Because on the one hand, we've been graciously given astonishing promises, all right? To be a Christian, by definition, means you've been given promises, promises about identity. So, so John 1, to all who received him, to those who believed on his name, he gave the right to become children of God, That's a promise. Ephesians 2, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus. That's a promise. Romans 8, he is conforming you into the image of his son. Promise. Ephesians 2, you've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Promise. You have free access to the throne of grace. Promise. His grace is sufficient for you. Promise. Favor and mercy will pursue us all the days of our lives. Promise. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Promise. Wonderful promises of identity. And then, of course, we also have promises of empowerment. You know, the gift of the Holy Spirit is a promise. 
So Peter says in Acts 1.39, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. Hallelujah. And with that promise comes the promise of the gifts of the Spirit, whether it's word of knowledge or, or wisdom or prophecy or tongues or healing and so on. Promises of empowerment. And then if that's not enough, each one of us receives unique promises to us as God speaks to us about our future, our calling, our, our purpose, our, our place. God gives us promises for our families and for fruitfulness, doesn't he? Look, our lives are packed full of promises now. And that's what makes it so exciting to be a Christian promises. And, and look, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never put your trust in Jesus and said, be my Lord and Savior, if you've never done that, then, then you're, you're outside of the promises. You may have, I guess you could only have vague hope, really. Hope that things will work out okay in the end. But of course, even that doesn't work because without, outside Jesus, there is no hope. What that means is that you might gather up as much as you can in this life here and as much possessions and as much relationships or as much as whatever as you can. But without Jesus, it's like building a sandcastle on the beach when the tide is coming in. It will all be washed away. But if you put your trust in Jesus, wow, God comes to you as he came to Abraham with astonishing promises, wonderful promises. But, but here's the thing, promises are wonderful, even as in Abraham's day, there are, are still things around us that can sometimes dim the promises. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as things like life. I mean, we have to get up in the morning, don't we? And I don't know about you, but when I get up in the morning, I'm not immediately thinking about promises. You know, I don't even know who I am when I get out of bed in the morning. You know, we still have to pay taxes, Get a warrant of fitness for the car. You know, we still have to go down to Countdown and do the food shop. You know, we still have to do uh, ordinary things. We have to get the kids dressed when they don't want to be dressed. Uh, as a grandfather, I'm learning again how hard it can be to get wriggly toddlers into their clothes when they don't want to get in there. And uh, I've been freshly appalled by what they can do in their na -na nappies as well. And, uh, you know... Look at their nappies, promises of God. This is what I see. Or there's the boredom in the office or the tension in the job or, or the aggro with the teenagers or sometimes just difficulties with our parents. Sometimes life can cloud over the promises, can't they? Leave us a bit flat. Also, at the same time, there's one other thing too. Look, look we have an enemy as well. And he's working against us every day, every hour, every minute. And his mission is to hem you in, all right? to chip away at your faith in these promises, to wear you down. I've heard it put like this. This is Frank Damasio years ago. He said, God has graciously given us a 5,000-acre farm to live on, and the devil tries to shrink us down to one acre. And I think that's a good way of putting it. What he's saying is that, that through the enemy's attacks, there is a, a constant chipping away, undermining, pressure of worldliness, discouragements and stresses, temptations, accusations, doubts. You know, did God really say? Did he, did he really promise you? 
Did God really say he would use you in that way, in that ministry? Did he really say that you were, he would never leave you or forsake you? Look at the situation you're in. You're feeling pretty alone, aren't you? Did he say? Did he really say to move into that career? Are you sure about that? It's been tough ever since. Did he really say that he would use you in healing? You know what happened the last time you tried that? These are doubts that the enemy attacks us with. It's the way the enemy works. And, and his aim is to decrease your acreage. It's not, that, it's not that he can take away the promises. He can't. But, but he can shrink your possession of them. Does that make sense? And you see, I think this. I think part of the problem for us is that, that when we do feel the pressure to shrink, it's sometimes easier to adapt to the smaller acreage. It's just easier. Now, this is where the caravan comes in. Many years ago, we brought one of these, uh, a very old Sprite caravan. In fact, I think it was smaller than this one here. It was about, it was literally about, um, I think it was 10 foot by 6. Uh, I could lie in the, uh, sideways. My head would touch one side, my feet would touch the other. It was a tiny little caravan with an awning, but it was minute. And uh, the reason why we brought this caravan was because of a camp or a conference we used to have in the UK called Stonely. And one or two of you here will remember those Stonely days when the New Frontiers family of churches gathered all their churches in to this campsite in the middle of England for about five days or so of, of camping and conferencing. And, uh, and, and churches would all just get their tents together, get their caravans together, and we'd go off for these five days in the middle of, of England. And it got quite large in the end. I think uh, numbers-wise, it was about 20,000. 20,000 people would gather onto this campsite, and they'd camp in church blocks. And so our church, we would get our caravan. We had three boys at the time, Julie, me, and our three boys, and this little caravan with an awning, and we'd pitch up on our, our church site, and we would get our caravan sorted out. And, uh, and I still remember the stress of that first evening. Because you'd have to, suddenly, it was like this, all the things that you were used to doing in your spacious home, you now had to do in this little telephone box-sized place. And so we would get in there, and we would be trying to, we'd be climbing over each other, we'd be elbows everywhere, and kids running around, and we have to put the food on, have to get the bedding sorted out, and, and, and you'd have to do all of this in front of the church, because they'd be arriving too. And uh, you'll be in the caravan, tensions rising. Oh, hello, God bless you. Uh, hallelujah. How oh, you've arrived. Wonderful. Isn't it great? Uh, you know, and meanwhile, inside this caravan, you're fighting for space and uh, temperature. Uh, it was really hard. Very, very stressful. And the kids never made it easy. Little baby, toddlers. But, you know, interesting. Over the week, things began to change. Because you get into a routine, don't you? You get used to the constraint. And, uh, and that's what happened to us. We began to, we began to get into good routines, timings, when to put the kids to bed, when to get the food out, what kind of food to have, when we needed to have it all washed up and sorted. We would get into routines. And, and actually, actually, as the week progressed, we kind of got a bit comfortable. And, uh, 
And you began to take a little bit of pride in what you did, and you began to compare your campsite to others out there as well, you know, and, uh, oh, really, they're struggling over there, shame. And, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, oh, they haven't understood, oh, okay, fine. And then you, have, then you maybe swap a few trades as secrets, maybe. Oh, you've tried, oh, well, we, we do this, this might help you. You kind of become little experts, and you become comfortable. And by the end of our time, just as we're having to pack up, we were fine. We were perfectly happy. And then we had to dismantle everything again. But you see, that's the problem. As Christians, we can learn to survive on 15 acres or 10 or one acre of Christian experience. We can do it. We can live in that little caravan. In fact, some would say that's how many churches have lived for centuries. Great promises, but low experience. And we get comfortable, and of course, over the years, Christians have written uh, books about how to live in the caravan, you know, and, you, and put on conferences of how to become expert at living in the caravan, and uh, that kind of low-grade Christian experience. And, and often, we've created theologies to justify the life in the caravan. You know, this is why it's so small. And so, glorious promises shrink in area to fit our small acreage. And this has happened over church history, actually. It's interesting that since the uh, uh, centuries ago in the Protestant church, the word prophecy, for instance, by the 16th, 17th century, the word prophecy had shrunk down to mean the sermon. So it was the good sermon. And books are written about how to prophesy in the church, which is how to do a good sermon. The word had shrunk in other words, too, words like uh, the word of knowledge had shrunk to wise intuition. And healing had faded to simply a state of the heart or the mind. And the glorious promise that we could approach the throne of grace in prayer became the quiet time or the five-minute devotional. And the glorious promise of the Spirit's presence became soft songs and sentiment. Or these days, lights, smoke machines. And the kingdom as we see it in Scripture really has become reserved for a few, but not for the masses. And you see, this is why Genesis 13 is so important to us. Because it's how God gives a man a certain acreage and then tells him what he's supposed to do about it. So, so looking again at verse 14 to 16, this is God speaking to Abraham. He says, look around from where you are to the north and south, to the east and west. All the land that you see, I will give to you and your offspring forever. I will make your offspring like the dust of the earth, so that if anyone could count the dust, then your offspring could be counted. Right? So, so that's the promise. That's the promise. God's saying, this is your 500 acres. But then in verse 17, the next verse, God says this, go walk through the length and breadth of the land. And as I look at this, I feel that what God's really saying here is, is Abraham, these promises, they are not to be theory to you. It's not just an abstract idea. 
No, I want you to do some things. I, I want you to know the scale of this land. Every tree, every shrub, every mountain, every stream, every animal that lives in it. I want you to experience this promise in its fullness and let it grip you and stir you and feed your faith. I don't want you to cut corners or downgrade the promise or simply watch it from the window of your caravan or tent. I want you to walk out there and celebrate the promise. I want you to celebrate all of it. Be good at celebrating my promises. And folks, I think we need to learn to do that more and more. I know God has been teaching me that over the years. I mean, uh, one of the big promises that I find I celebrate these days that I walk through, if you like, is simply this. All the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's a big promise. And I celebrate that promise. I pepper my prayers with it. I prophesy it. I sing it. I saturate my mind with it. I know that promise. I walk through it. So that when I hear about Brexit unfolding in chaos or, or Trump going off on one over there or China thinking about doing something else over here, I'm not thinking that's terrible. I'm thinking, no, God has a bigger plan. I'm convinced of it. The earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. That's celebrating the promise. And, and I have others too. Another is, arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord rises on you. I, I get people fed up how often I keep going on about that verse. I'm celebrating the promise. And I have other more, more localized promises too that I walk through. Well, one of the more local ones I celebrate is that this church will become a multicultural, grace-filled, spirit-empowered, word-based, apostolic resource base for this nation and beyond. Yeah. I celebrate that. I prophesy it. I rave on about it. People are b- b- bored by the way I talk about it. That doesn't matter. It's important. What I'm doing is I'm celebrating the promise. I'm walking through the length and breadth of the land. I have other more intimate promises too. Julie and I have promises for our children. And many times we've gone back to God and say, God, you promised us this. We are looking to see it fulfilled for our kids. We celebrate the promise. Look, this is partly what it means to walk through the length and breadth of the land. It's that we celebrate God's promises to us and live in them. So so let me ask you this morning, what promises has God given you? What what, what prophecies, what what yearnings has he put in your heart? What dreams has he put in your heart? Maybe years ago that you're just aware of, you're conscious of. What has he said to you? Listen, don't just file them away. No, walk through the length and breadth of them. Get to know them, celebrate them, pray them, prophesy them. It's important to do that. But actually, second thing is this. Walking through the land means more than than celebrating the promise. There's actually more to it than that. God is also saying to Abraham, I want you to own it. God says, go walk through the length and breadth of the land, for I'm giving it to you for I'm giving it to you. In other words, in the act of walking it out is the act of ownership. You've got to do something with your promises. You have to allow them to affect your life. Celebration merges into action. It must do. And folks, this is where we need to stretch because if you're anything like I am, look, you know, I can be great 
thinking about ideas, the theory of things. I'm great at trying to work out what the promises are, but sometimes, if I'm honest, I'm less sharp at pulling through and, and persevering through and, and, and doing the promise. I'm less sharp at that. Years ago, I felt God speak to me about prayer. I felt he said to me, having my shelves packed with books on prayer doesn't mean I pray. And that's the truth, isn't it? Knowing the theory about something or the promise doesn't mean I'm working it out in reality. And sometimes we can fool ourselves thinking we are. Prayer, I know about prayer. I've got this book, I've got that book and this book. But it's not about the fact that I'm not praying. Listen, in case you haven't realized this, God is bringing us as a church into a new season. I believe this. He is setting us up to, to do promises, to do them, to begin to actively walk them out. And you can see that in a whole range of ideas, not all areas, not all of them are obvious. I mean, coming back to prayer for a second, I know uh, over the last two years or so, I know God has been speaking to uh, some of us, one or two of us, sometimes singly or in couples, uh, to pray. That if we would pray, God would begin to open things up. And uh, the last few years, I know some of us have begun to really do that, to cry out to God, to press through in prayer. And, and I thank God for what we have seen on and off, glimpses of what God will do. And uh, what that is, is simply knowing that God has promised us, but doing something about it. And, and I love the way God sets us up as a church, because he sends us people who provoke us in those areas so that we might be encouraged to take our acreage. So I praise God for people like Daly and Esther when it comes to prayer. You guys are a gift to us as a church. Because you don't just talk about prayer, you do it. And as they do it, so we are inspired to to imitate and, and to get on with it too. It's what God does. And I praise, the way for, pray, praise God for the way that he sends us other people. I think of Lawrence or, or, or Steve not talking about prophecy. He can, he, not only does he teach on prophecy, he does prophecy. It, it's, it's doing as well as the hearing. I thank God for people like Lee and Tash who've been among us as well. So done so much in pushing us to, to do the promise. And I look at Lee sometimes and I think he's like an Abraham walking through the promised land, taking ownership of it. And as he does that, so we get stirred too to take a few steps ourselves. And, and suddenly we begin to step out and play in things like healing and the prophetic. And, and suddenly things are beginning to happen amongst us in ways that we've never seen. Hallelujah. That's why I thank God for others as well. I thank God for people like Sam and Stacy, who not only talk about crossing cultural boundaries, but who actually do, who are, who are reaching out and getting alongside, bringing people in, teaching us the language. In other words, this promise that we will be a, a truly Turanga Waiwai for all nations, that's the promise, but they're doing and so we're all stepping forward a bit and learning a little bit of the language and, and being more out there and looking beyond ourselves. It's the promise, but it's the working out of the promise. What a season God is bringing us into. It's why I'm so stirred by people like Marianne and Jan. Not teenagers. Not the youngest among us. But moving out looking at the promise and stepping out. And so they're stepping out again, aren't you? You're stepping out again. You're believing God. God, help us. We need you. They're obeying a promise. And they've seen wonderful things happen with the last visit they took to, to Holland. This is what it means to, to see promises become actuality. And there are many others. It's people among us beginning to walk through the length and breadth of the land of promise 
And as they do, they're beginning to possess it. Look, can I suggest that the season we're entering into as a church is a season to possess land, right? It's, it's more than hearing promises, it's the act of possessing as well. Not just receiving promises, but seeing them come through. So we become a church known for promises fulfilled as well as promises received. Listen, this nation is desperate for a church that is moving into its full acreage. It's desperate for a church that is a New Testament one indeed. And just as I'm about to close, I just want to ask you this morning, what's your acreage? Are you a full 500 acres? Are you more of a 10? What's the, what's the gap between promises and experience? Are you someone who's thinking, yes, I've had promises, I've had prophecies, I've had deep yearnings that God has put in me, and I know there's much more, but actually I feel a little confined. Or actually, I've become a little bit comfortable. Or actually, maybe it's fear. Maybe I don't want to move out of my caravan because it's become my comfort zone now. And if I step out and I fail, what will people think of me? Fear is a, is, a, is a terrible thing that keeps us confined in the caravan. Look, whatever it is, maybe it's time for some of us to crush the caravan and move on. You see, that old caravan of ours, the last picture I have of it is in a big breaker's yard. And uh, it was a big flat space, and our little old, little old caravan was sitting there, and this big claw came down and wrapped itself around it and just crushed it like an eggshell. And as it did that, part of me thought, oh, 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 really? And then the other part of me thought, wonderful, now we can move on. <laughs> and I think that's how it is sometimes. This morning, I believe... That's the invitation that God is offering. For some of us, God's saying, come on, come into this. Maybe we need to pray, Lord, I'm crushing my caravan. I'm stepping out of my little acreage. I'm going to celebrate your promises again. I'm going to put aside fear or disappointment or discouragement. I'm going to see radical change in my life because I'm going to believe you and get out of this eggshell called my caravan. I believe that's the invitation that God is putting out there this morning. Question is, will you respond to the invitation? I just can't conceive of spending my, the rest of my life in a 6 by 12 caravan when 500 acres is offered me. I just can't face the, the thought of, of coasting in a Christian life, which is this acreage, when God has promised me so much more. When God has put upon the church such a calling to fully demonstrate his glory in the earth. Let's stand, shall we? Let's just stand. Hallelujah.